About a month ago, I was having a deep phone conversation with my friend and mentor, Laura Howell, about those murky, often unnamed leadership traits that can only be developed through hard-won wisdom. When you're in the middle of your greatest and perhaps seemingly insurmountable challenge, just how do you know when you should push through it with a growth mindset and greedy optimism versus when you should just cut bait? Today on The Behaviorist, we'll explore how we hone the powers and proper proportions of both grit and grace. Welcome to The Behaviorist with Work Wisdom, where we help you adopt high-performance mindsets, behaviors, communication, and culture. I'm your host, Kedrin Crosby. Our intention for the Behaviorist podcast is to share accessible, concrete practices that you can weave into your whole life to begin a shift toward joy and meaningful achievement. We're grateful to have Laura Howe, Executive Director of Maryland Association of Community Services, and Catherine Ross, publisher of both Central Penn Business Journal and Central Penn Parent with us today. Thank you so much for being here. Thank Thanks you. for making Thank the drive up. Thank you so up. much. Laura, um, you were my first real boss. Uh, you picked me up out of grad school and, and made me your intern, and you taught me all kinds of gritty habits that I shall never relinquish. Everything from how to build cohesion in a coalition of competitors and how to properly space a memo. Um, Catherine, you also are a beloved friend who's skillful in both grit and grace. I remember when we were first supposed to have uh, a meeting, a breakfast at Commonwealth on Queen, and I just completely didn't show up. I completely missed it. And not only did you forgive me, but you showed so much empathy um, because I had just started work wisdom and you knew what I was going through. So so thank you both for being uh, gritty and graceful friends of mine through the years. We also have a, a connection to U- University of Maryland and, and Laura and I specifically to UMBC. And their tagline is grit and grace. Um, we've we've seen such a change in UMBC over the decades since Laura and I went there. Um, the work that Freeman Herbowski has done has just been incredible, beyond belief, really, how he's taken this sleepy commuter college and turned it into one of the most innovative research institutions in the country. And he's done all of that through grit and grace. So that tagline is inspiring to us. Um, Of course, the book Grit by Angela Duckworth has also been very inspirational to all of us. I I read that book um, on a couple of airplane uh, trips, and um, whenever I'm on a plane, uh, my reading seems to stick with me. And um, what I really remember from that book is this idea that talent is important, but it's really um, perseverance that counts twice when we are thinking about a formula for success. So I wanted to think about this idea of that perseverance, that grit, and think about um, how we can hone it, maybe even how we can share our wisdom around grit for our listeners so so that they can help develop um, their own grit. So Laura, I've been thinking about your career and all, all the world changing that you've done over the decades. Can you tell me how grit has counted twice in your own formula for success? Well, thank you, Kedron. Yes, Um, absolutely. It's great to be here. Um, So 
when I was thinking about this topic, I really thought how much I love the word grit because I think it really conveys something very complex. And the more you think about it, the more you realize there are a lot of components. Mm. Um, I think the first thing is what you endeavor to do. Um, I think a lot of people who need and employ grit uh, are trying to do something that's really challenging. Mm -hmm. Uh, You and I met uh, in a homeless services program. We weren't homeless ourselves, but we were working in a homeless services program. Um, And that is certainly a challenging and kind of gritty endeavor. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I think how you do the work. So I think of things like perseverance, resilience. Um, In my career, I've done a lot of advocacy. So it's a lot of systems change, which can certainly be challenging. And I when I talk about my work, I often talk about pragmatic optimism, Mm -hmm. you have to even when something's really hard and seems almost insurmountable, you have to think that you can do it and and that it's possible to succeed, but you have to be pragmatic about it. And I think all of those things are wrapped up in grit. Mm, Yeah, it's such a great word, isn't it? It is. It really is. Catherine, can you tell us, um, when did you feel that you needed to be most gritty? And I don't know, did it come naturally? Uh, Well... Um, luckily, I was raised with uh, two parents who set um, role models, guidelines of perseverance and hard work and ethics. And my personal experience had always been that if I worked hard enough, I could achieve my goals, whatever the endeavor was, building upon what Laura was talking about. Um, and most of the time, it always worked, whether it was through education or my personal life or other goals that we often talk about that we have to be getting in there and seeing it through. But Again, building off what Laura was talking about, it's the pragmatic times when we were in the middle of that work and the grit and that we're going through and we realize that maybe what we're going through and we're getting to isn't the success that we expected or wasn't the outcome or that we necessarily wanted or foresaw. And so those times when I've had to actually be the most gritty were the ones where no matter how hard I worked, um, I wasn't going to be able to affect the change that I, or the outcome I wanted. So I had to persevere in emotional vulnerability through that. So there was another mm-hmm. type of emotional vulnerability of grit that mm-hmm. it's a different type, not just getting down and dirty and doing it. Yeah. Um, a personal time, I would say, because I, I think it can be personal and professional that we need to be working through is when my marriage ended and I had a face that my spouse just didn't want to be married to me, no matter how much I wanted to be engaged into that relationship. Um, the other was when I had to come to terms that, uh, I did not enjoy being an external consultant and it was time for me to close my business to take the next step in my career Mm. and not seeing, and being saying, okay, this isn't the outcome where I thought this business was going to go pragmatically but it's not where my joy is. And so how do I embrace that to vulnerability and grit to go through what was some uncomfortable times to be acknowledging that as well as doing the work? Um, So, and truthfully, neither one of those times came easily. Oh my gosh, I know when it doesn't come naturally and you just have to think intentionally, okay, how am I going to behave right now? It yes. doesn't feel normal. And it, it yeah. doesn't. And uh, Catherine, you and I have talked about how much we both um, enjoy the work of Brene Brown. Yeah. And I've been recently reading her book, Dare to Lead. And she's really into the vulnerability and, and how that grit is in there. And the one thing that I'm learning is that when you're in that sticky, ugly middle that's really tough. And we have to, whether it's that emotional grit or the personal violence, 
is to be authentic with your trusted mm -hmm. circle around you so that you're not isolating yourself. Because I think sometimes when we're in that most difficult part, we can isolate ourselves yeah. and we don't, that's a little bit harder. So that's one takeaway from her book that I've been mm, yeah, doing. That's really helpful. I, I'm actually working with a client right now who said the words to, I said, I asked her some questions the other day and she said, well, I'm trying to figure out grit and grace. And I said, are you kidding me? Because we're doing a podcast on that on Sunday. And she said, yeah, you told me last week. And I said, oh, well, here I thought you were just thinking of you know this new phrase. Um, but I think there are a lot of people who need to learn how do I stay uh, gritty? How do mm -hmm. I figure out how to be authentic and vulnerable um, when I'm in that messy middle? So I, I want to talk about this messy middle. So when we're working really hard, and we don't necessarily see the needle moving. That, um, that efficacy, that agency isn't really, um, we're not really able to own it when we're in that messy middle. Um, Rosabeth uh, Moss Cantor, she, she has this phrase where she says, everything looks like a failure in the middle. And, and I've liked to think about that quote in, in a different way. I've liked to think about it and, and said to myself, remind myself that every success looks like a failure in the middle. So sometimes you're in the middle of something and, and you're trying to figure out, is this a failure? But then you can you can project out a couple of years and say, oh, well, maybe this is just the messy middle of this <laughs> success, and it feels like a failure right now. Um, that's, of course, where we need Laura's pragmatic optimism <laughs> to get the reality check. So um, Brene Brown kind of talks about this idea when she talks about the messy middle uh, as this place of optimal creativity, when everything's kind of broken apart and we don't really know what the future looks like. So you can, you can come up with more innovation in that messy middle than any other time. William Bridges, who, who wrote Managing Transitions, calls this space the wilderness or the neutral zone. When you're in that dark spot in the middle, um, and it may be a failure or it may be a success, but you have to think about how to stay gritty in, in moving forward with that. So, um, so I, I want to talk about that idea, that messy middle, and what grit, grit means in that messy middle. So how do we know when to power through the messy middle um, versus when to cut bait, when to walk away. So when you think about your own professional or personal lives, do you have any tips for, for, for the youngsters out there that are listening to us or even for me? Because I need some advice too. Is there a method? Is there a formula? Are there some decision rules? You know, how can we be artful in figuring out that um, almost that sixth sense of when to stay in it? So, Laura, do you have any advice or wisdom on this one? Well, that's a really good question, Kadrin. Um, You know, when I was thinking about this, I, I think, honestly, and this may be a flaw, I, I was hard pressed to think of a time when I really walked away from the messy middle. Mm. Um, and maybe it's a nature of, of uh, what I do in advocacy that you really, 
it's very hard to give up. Um, mm. One of my favorite quotes is from Winston Churchill, which, mm. you know, he saw some very dark times when he yeah. thought Britain would fall to Germany. And uh, his quote is, never give in except to convictions of honor and good sense. And so I think that's a lot of what we're talking about today is w- when do you have when does it make sense to, to walk away? And I think, honestly, that a lot of times people give up a little too easily. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why grit is so important. Um, I do think that a lot of the time you have to think about adjusting the goal sometimes. And I think Catherine talked about that earlier that, you know, you sometimes you go in with this, you know, big audacious goal and, Um, sometimes it's not the right goal or you need Mm -hmm. to think differently about it or the timeline for it. And I think those are all the calculations you have to make when you're in, when you're in the middle. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So Catherine, how do you figure out when to power through versus when to walk away? So building off of what Laura was saying, because I was saying a little bit earlier, we, we tend to bounce off quite often. I, and I'm quite analytical, so I like decision trees. Mm. So I would tell you there are three variables that I apply. The first is my values. Does what I'm doing align with my values and ethics? The second is financial, because one should never risk beyond their means. And the last goes to Marie Kondo's sparking joy, the, the uh, element. And while hers is about cleaning up, I also believe that what we're doing in our lives should be sparking joy there. Mm. And if... You're in it. So while sparking joy is different for each of us, if you're in a situation where you know that the seedling that of will of your joy will never be fed there, mm. then that is a time that you know you should walk away. So I would tell you the first two are hard lines in my world, and then the second, while it's a gut feeling, I'll tell you it eventually becomes cl- just as clear as that hard line. Mm. So it's easy to have your ethics lines. It's easy to have your financial line. The joy, it actually becomes equally clear. So I think if people pay attention to those, that will help them measure. Yeah, absolutely. So so when we're thinking about the messy middle, the the wilderness, um, the neutral zone, um, what's it feel like? So is there a word that describes how it feels when you're in the messy middle? Laura, what's your word? I don't know how you feel about this word, but I would say stressed. Uh-huh. <laughs> I don't know if other people feel that way. I uh, I find the messy metal usually a pretty stressful place, which I think can also make decision making um, challenging. Um, so uh, Andrew Zolli, who wrote the book Resilience, mm-hmm. says that resilience is the ability of people, communities, and systems to maintain their core purpose an integrity among unforeseen shocks and surprises. And I thought that was a great description of the messy metal, the unforeseen shocks and surprises, the things that you couldn't anticipate, mm-hmm. um, the challenges that you didn't see coming or that you were surprised by. Um, and I think that uh, the the positive side of stress is it's an artifact of caring deeply about something. And, you know, um, we all... Uh, sometimes think, oh, I can't be on social media, you know, it, it really annoys me. But sometimes th- those memes are true. And, and you know, the, the meme that we probably have all seen that, you know, stress is really about caring deeply about something, I think, to me, in an interesting way, kind of helps 
reduce the stress almost because it reframes it into, oh, I feel this way because I really care. Mm. And that's going to help guide me through that messy metal. Yeah. So that's taking, um, so we, we differentiate between, um, positive and negative stress. Mm -hmm. So there's you stress, which helps you grow and lean in and be gritty and resilient. And then there's distress, which just is going to give you a heart attack. So, um, so that's a a great way to reframe that stress into something positive. Catherine, when you think about the messy middle and how your body reacts and how you feel, is there a word that comes to you when you think about the messy middle? So after hearing Laura's answer, part of me was like, I wanted stress would have been really, really good. (laughs) But I would, in, in all authenticity, for me, it can bloom into a form of this internal melancholy. When I, and when we lead into not being able to see around the corner, when we can see the end of the tunnel, when we feel like we might get somewhere, it is easy to keep going. But when we feel like there might not be any control in that, I, or it's just, you can't get out of the wilderness. Mm. For me, it does create a bit, of a, a bit of a melancholy that then I have to make an effort to get out and engage with people who inspire me, mm. read books that give me ideas, be around creative thinkers, set specific action plans to overcome it. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think sometimes the melancholy that can go with that is not always honestly addressed. Mm, so yeah, such a good point. So let's think about our listeners and let's think about what advice we might share with our listeners to help them develop this artful approach to knowing as Kenny Rogers would say, when to hold them, when to fold them, when to walk away, when to run. Um, what advice would you share? So Catherine, what advice might you share? My, my first instinct is to tell people to write them out. As I mentioned before, mm. I have variables that I keep. As everyone thinks about what are the, the elements or the measurements that are important to them mm-hmm. to, to have that element, is to write them out. I tend to create lists for each of the columns that I mentioned before and continually add and subtract to them. As time goes by, they get added of, okay, I'm making this here, or I'm feeling this, or this mm-hmm. is getting closer to this particular boundary. Um, and honestly, eventually the lists create clarity. Now, my lists tend to be mental ones that I keep in my head, but I would encourage others, whether they want to put them on paper or verbally create them and walk through them with a tr- trusted mentor or coach that can help keep them accountable mm, to it and great. explore it. Yeah, absolutely. Great advice, Laura. That is that is great advice. Um, Catherine and I are probably a little yin and yang because um, it sounds like your first place is analytical, yes. probably followed by gut. My first place is probably more my gut instinct followed yeah. by analytical. So um, I think part of helping to decide whether to walk away is how, how important was the goal to start? Mm -hmm. You know, um, some things are easier to walk away from than others. Mm -hmm. Some things you really just have to keep working at it. And I, I know I keep saying it, but I think going back to that concept of being persistent, um, really, you know, sometimes you can walk away from something that might have been achievable if you just stuck to it a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. So I think it's not only um, do you, when do you, whether you walk away, but it's also figuring out what the right formula is for when you make that decision. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think Catherine talked a little bit about really looking at 
is continuing having a negative effect on you in ways that are um, too important to ignore. So Mm -hmm. if it's having a negative impact on you financially and your uh, family, you know, on your health, then you really have to look at those things. You know, they, the cliche that, you know, nobody was ever on their deathbed and and said, I wish I'd worked more certainly pertains. But when you try to achieve big things, you know, there is, you know, there, the, uh, that's, you know, that effort can take a toll. And it's really just all the balance of how do you take all those things into effect. So I don't think they're ever easy decisions. And I think some combination of the analytical and the gut instinct and how important it is to to get to that goal are all the things you have to factor in. Yeah, I also really like, um, I like the interwoven approach, you know, that we're doing a little analytical, uh, a little gut. But I also like this idea of finding trusted partners to talk to, whether it's a a friend who has high reality testing or a therapist or a coach or someone out there that we can throw all these things up against. Um, Really helpful. So, so let's think about the benefits of being gritty. Um, if you could name one benefit to being gritty, what would be ranked at the top? So Catherine, what's the top benefit of grittiness? I would say magic. Mm. And what I mean by that is there's a drawing that I love. There's two circles. There's a larger one and a smaller one, a bit of a distance away. The larger circle, my, a lot of people might've seen this. It's list, It's labeled your comfort zone and the small one further away is where the magic happens (laughs) and when we are having to be gritty I swear it's not at least once but most likely many many times during these periods of grit we have to step out of our comfort zone however at the end of it it is where the magic happens in Mm -hmm. our lives so at the end of the day it's magic yeah yeah (laughs) I think we should rename this podcast Magic. Yeah. <laughs> gritty Magic. Uh, Laura, what do you think when you think about the benefits of being gritty? What's at the top? Um, I think it's being, success- being successful and accomplishing hard things that matter. Mm. I-, I don't know anyone who accomplishes hard things without a significant dose of grittiness. So in the formula of what makes magic, Mm -hmm. I think, you know, grittiness is a huge piece of it. And I think that, you know, that is priceless when you make a difference in the world Mm -hmm. um, through all that hard work and grittiness. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, when we think about world changers and how to help world changers be as high performing as possible, teaching grittiness um, in grad school, in undergrad, you know, it should be class, it should be a class, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, let's also talk about grace. So this term has a million shades within it. It it means a million things to to everyone. So um, in the context of leadership, it, it can mean that you stay classy and and you uh, choose not to shred someone, even if maybe they were behaving badly. Um, it can mean giving someone a very long leash to become creative, maybe even to fail. Um, I like that it's Parker Posey's 
white fluffy little dog and now our little puppy is also named grace um so but what does grace mean to each of you so laura when when i say to you grace what do you think that means well when i thought about the word and the question i really thought well this is another word that sums up something complex Mm -hmm. right it's not something simple yeah um i think it also takes on a meaning specific to the circumstance that you're in, much mm-hmm. like much like grit. Um, it's when you're being tested that grace really comes into play. Mm-hmm. I think that's when we define how someone acts as having grace or being graceful. Um, to me, it means acting with civility and kindness mm-hmm. when maybe you want to act out of frustration or anger. Um, and I think a really good metaphor for grit and grace is a duck who's paddling like crazy under the water and just looks like a serene, happy little duck above the water. And, and that to me, it is a great metaphor for grit and grace. Boy, that is fantastic. What do you think, Catherine? What does grace mean to you? It's interesting as I contemplate the two different areas, because the one area is I reflect on Emily Post and the manners. And mm-hmm. people often think of manners as these tried and true rules. But at the end of the day, the reasons the manners were there was to create space and courtesy and, and to help other people feel comfortable and never have them shame. It's to be courteous to others. At the same time, uh, Mike Roche, he is the CEO of Pure Charity, which is a nonprofit consulting firm. He once wrote, Grace means that all of your mistakes now serve a purpose instead of serving shame. Mm. And while we all need to give ourselves that same grace, but we also need to lead with and give that grace to others so they have the safe space to make their mistakes so that their mistakes can serve a purpose as well. So I think that was the two different areas when I think about grace of how can we each in our days be helping others create safe spaces? Mm, Okay, so this is great. So when we're thinking about helping other leaders, even emerging leaders, um, develop grace, I want to think a little bit about how it feels to be graceful when leading. So Laura, I can think of a million times that you were graceful when you were leading me. Um, We're not going to talk about those on the air. Um, (laughs) But uh, I, I do want us to explore this idea of what does it feel like when you're extending grace? Well, I think I know a lot of people who seem to epitomize grace, you being one of them. Mm. Um, and I learned that from you. <laughs> Internship. It's very kind of you. <laughs> um, I don't always feel like I exhibit as much grace as I would like to. Mm. Um, uh, I've been known to break my delete key metaphorically. I don't know if your <laughs> listeners feel that way, but sometimes when you're in the middle of that struggle <laughs> of uh, getting into a graceful place in your mind and you just write, delete, write, yep. and delete. Yes, yeah. we've all been there. Um, but I think for me, it gets down to empathy that mm-hmm. if you have empathy, and I think this fits in with what Catherine was talking about, if you have, if you can find empathy for people again, and it always comes in in those challenging times, mm-hmm. um, I think that's what helps me to be kind when I might be feel otherwise Um, because it really is kind of diverting that feeling and having uh, I mean impulse control quite frankly and saying I don't think I you know when you watch 
people who seem to epitomize grace, and it just seems like it just comes so easily to them. Um, but I, th- I don't know if it comes as easily. It, the beauty of grace is that it seems like it does in the moment, mm-hmm. even though you might be struggling internally with it. Mm-hmm. I, I'm picturing Harriet right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Catherine, d- when do you choose not to show grace, if ever? Well, thank you. But and of course, it is always a goal, my goal to be graceful. But I have to say, when I experience someone intentionally hurting others, especially the vulnerable, I can't help it. I just maybe tend to go a little Southern church lady who just <laughs> <laughs> and just lets it be known because you just, it needs you at that point in time, it's not showing that person grace, but you're actually creating grace for the person or the people that are being afflicted by that yeah. other person. So that's probably the only time that I would say I would consciously not, not show grace. <laughs> I know it's such an interesting, and I feel bad saying it, but I don't feel bad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's an, such an interesting concept. Um, this idea of not showing grace and, and when are times that it's, it's okay to not show grace. So Laura, do you have any times? Well, listening to Catherine, it really makes me think, question, what does grace always look like? I mm-hmm. mean, we, we've sort of defined it as, you know, kindness and civility and all those things. But I think what Catherine uh, described of really taking up for someone who uh, may be vulnerable and is not being treated well, Um, I do think that's a form of grace, Mm -hmm. quite honestly. Mm -hmm. Um, And as somebody who's done a lot of work in fields that are very justice oriented, um, that is a lot of the time what makes you um, question whether you're being graceful because you are faced with those inequities, that injustice. Um, And I know that recently, I'll give you an example. I was in a public meeting and, and, um, very purposefully made the decision to be a little tougher Mm -hmm. than maybe I normally would be in front of 150 people. Um, But, and someone said to me, oh, you took the gloves off. And, but it was really done with a purpose to get to that end result. So um, I don't know if it was graceful or not, but it was certainly in the goal of seeking justice and making, but doing it in a very um, decisive way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a fascinating, fascinating topic. I think it's something that we should keep talking about this idea of um, <clears throat> what does grace look like? How do we teach grace to others to especially emerging leaders, especially emerging world changing leaders? Um, what does it look like? Maybe it looks different than how we were raised to think that grace looks. So what advice would you give our listeners regarding how to activate and even strengthen their gracefulness as a leader? Catherine, what ideas do you have? So I think that's such a great implementation question that Mm -hmm. people can take this idea and take it into their workplace or take it into their social world or their educational session. And the first advice I would have is to allow yourself to have that empathy and be vulnerable in a way that creates safe spaces for your team members to go through their own middles. Um, I know this is often easier said than done, so I'd encourage anyone listening to read or get on Audible, Brene Brown's Dare to Lead. And a while ago, reflecting, I, I didn't, I had, years ago, I had an employee come to me in a way, but 
it mirrored the same element. She was sharing that she didn't like her job and that she knew it wasn't forever. And it was a very tense conversation. And in hindsight, I didn't handle it the way I wish I had, where mm. I was like, well, you need to be accountable for this and you need to be doing this. And, mm. and over the weekend then, I reflected on what I had said to her. And I had remembered earlier in my career when I was in a role that wasn't a good fit. Mm. And I remembered having to hide, doing interviews and feeling like I was failing because I was so miserable and it was the wrong job. Mm. So I circled back with her and I sat down and I said, I just wanted to have this conversation once again. You shared this with me. Well, I'd like to share with you I was once in that same situation and I remembered feeling this way. So you are an important part of this team and you're very value, but I don't want you to stay here in a role that you don't like and I don't want you to have to hide. So why don't we figure out a way that we can support you so that you can move on. We can help you determine what you might like to do. We can give you time to go on interviews. You don't have to feel that you are hiding anything from us, and I want you to know that we will support you in this journey. Mm. And so I think it's creating that safe space of not having, that wasn't about her performance, but mm. it was about who she is and having that empathy because she's in her middle right now or mm. was in her middle at that time. So yeah. that is the advice that I would give for people. Yeah, that's so good. Laura, what are your thoughts about this? Well, Catherine and I have very similar thoughts. Um, I think being grounded in empathy for others is really key. Um, and also um, being in touch with, with the, the regret that you can feel when you don't act with grace. Mm. I, I um, certainly know there have been times when I've looked back and thought, oh, I really wish I had handled that differently. And, um, you know, that that regret is a, is a motivator. It's not a very good feeling, you know? Um, but I guess the third thing I would say is that, um, really looking to people you respect, whether it's a mentor, a friend Mm -hmm. or a colleague who you do see as a role model for handling challenging things with grace and seek them out and talk with them. Because sometimes that act of having that conversation, first of all, helps you take a moment, take a breath, think about why somebody did something or why something was challenging and take some of the air out of that um, desire uh, to act out of emotion uh, as opposed to grace and then um, you know use that conversation to really think about how you want to respond to something so I I think the thing I would add to what Catherine said is um, take a breath Mm -hmm. before you act um, and and talk with people who you see as role models Mm. so so thank you so much for that. I feel like our, our listeners are going to um, have much greater skill as they seek to become graceful leaders themselves. What I was hearing from both of you is this idea of how do we create psychologically safe spaces um, where we can show empathy, we can build empathy, maybe even in the culture where we tap the brakes, where we practice the pause, um, pause principle. Maybe we even use our own regret and think about what's our do-over and how we would behave differently going forward. So those are five tips right there that can help all of our listeners as they grow. And 
I'd like to add one thing is that we don't just have the one chance. If you've missed it, if mm. you miss the opportunity to be graceful, the greater grace is to go back and show it. Mm. Take that time and say, I'm sorry I didn't handle this the way I should have, mm -hmm. or I'd like to help improve that. So we, if we have that regret, because we've all missed an opportunity at mm -hmm. one point in time, is to sit there and say, can I go back and improve it? Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's harder and it's scarier to go back and admit that to somebody. Mm -hmm. But I think at that same time, it shows it's even a greater grace that they know that you've more meaningful because you've been reflecting on it and it allows you to rectify a potential regret. Yeah, that's, that's really excellent. Okay. Um, so let's think about one benefit of leading with grace. So when we think about what's beneficial about leading with grace, Catherine, what's at the top of the list? What's most beneficial about leading with grace? I would say that I know that in my role, I am not saving the world or curing cancer. Mm -hmm. So at the end of the day, though, what I believe is that with grace, we can make the lives of the individual individuals around us and our teams better. And there's no greater joy or sense of purpose to be able to go at home at the end of the day and say, I helped improve somebody's life. I helped forward their mission, help create a safe space for them. Mm -hmm. So it actually becomes part of that purpose um, of my particular life day in and day out yeah, because absolutely. I don't have the skills to be doing greater things. <laughs> oh, no. But yeah, if you can create a meaningful um, culture where yes. people feel heard. Yes. Absolutely. Um, absolutely. That, it doesn't matter what we do. If we can do that, that's great world-changing work. And, and taking that time to listen. Yeah. It's, it's part of that culture. Yeah. So yes. Yeah. And you know, there, the, we, we often talk about three top tips for developing empathy and that kind of psychological safety. And the listening is the first part, you know, mm -hmm. the, the second is looking for the person behind everything. And then the third is really actually talking to strangers. Those are all great ways to develop empathy. Laura, um, you're not, you're not just uh, the executive director of this incredible organization. You're also a talented painter and a compassionate friend and a devoted wife. So I'm interested in this idea of weaving grit and grace as golden threads through all the facets of one's life. Do you have any um, advice around behaviors or habits that might foster whole life skillfulness with grit and grace, um, maybe even gritty grace? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, that's a big question, yes. Kadrin. <laughs> um, and uh, first of all, I want to say I'm in, I feel like I'm incredibly lucky to have, mm -hmm. you know, an amazing wife and great friends yeah. and most of the time work that feeds my soul. Yeah. It's a pretty good um, combination. And I think having gratitude for what you have actually helps you achieve gritty grace, mm -hmm. to, to, to quote you. Mm -hmm. um, I do think that making time for things that uh, both personally and professionally that give you the space to um, be able to to do hard work in a way that is graceful is really important. That's mm -hmm. why I went back to doing something creative and, and took up painting, which I think I, I did at a point in time where I was experiencing a tremendous amount of stress professionally. And I, I knew I just had to do something that would give me a place uh, mentally, emotionally to, to do something um, 
that was different, that sort of fed my soul in a different way. Um, from a professional standpoint, I will make a plug for something that I think is really important for the, the world changing leaders that you work with. And, um, that I've talked a lot about in the last probably 10 years, which is, um, take time to take a sabbatical if you can. And not the kind of academic sabbatical where you're somewhere else doing research and still doing work, but taking, it can be a short period of time. For me, it's been a four-week sabbatical, and the definition uh, between a sabbatical uh, not being just a long vacation, but really being a time when you disconnect completely from work. Um, and a lot of people tell me that they can't do it. There's no way that the the business will survive or the organization will continue. And what I have said to them is that if, if you can't find four weeks in a one or two year period of time where you can be away, you need to really look at your organization because they should be able to survive for four weeks without you. Um, and I have done that. Uh, and it has really made a big difference in my ability to um, continue to do, you know, justice seeking work in a way um, that is hopefully successful. Yeah, you know, our Kate Coleman just wrote a column in, in yeah. your magazine in yeah. your journal central <laughs> pen um business journal about that exact concept um this idea that unless we are refueling filling our cup um we can't be gritty and we can't be graceful um and, and we've probably all experienced that when we are so tapped out um that there's just nothing left um we're more likely to just uh, cut bait when it's not yet time, when we're still in the middle. Um, and, and we certainly aren't extending grace to anyone, including ourselves. Can I just add to yeah. that? Um, I have to tell you the, the first time I went to my board of directors and said, I'd probably been in my position about 10 years and said, I need a sabbatical. It was really hard to do. There's, you know, I think in our culture, there's almost shame around admitting <clears throat> that, you know, look, I've been working like crazy. Um, and I need a little time to, to, to build those, um, stores yeah. of, uh, intellectual and emotional, uh, capacity. And, um, but I'm so glad I found the ability to do it and that they were receptive to it. Mm. So I, that's why I've become a, kind of someone who tries to urge my colleagues to find the um, the courage to, to say the same thing because most of the people I work with do actually need that kind of break to continue to do a long-term career in challenging work. And gritty grace. And to compliment in the business world, um, I have a friend who owns a business and they take a month away every year mm -hmm. and they say it's the best time for them to be understanding the potential for their succession planning mm -hmm. because, and I believe that every manager and leader, if you're thinking about your career, you should be creating a team that can function without you for a month. Yeah. The wheels will not fall off in that amount of time, yeah. <laughs> you know, and so within the organizational structure, companies that create an environment where they don't think that people should leave, that they need them, it's not healthy for the organization or the individuals. So it should actually become part of the professional culture because I believe it allows other employees to rise to opportunities. 
I'm so grateful to both of you for being part of this movement of helping world changers in the workplace to enhance their individual and collective team performance. Thank you so much for talking about grace and grit with us today. Thank you listeners for downloading The Behaviorist, and we hope you'll subscribe. Please reach out to us through our website, workwisdomllc.com, where you can enjoy Work Wisdom Press, Work Wisdom Productions, ask questions, and make suggestions of topics you'd like us to explore in future episodes. Today, we'll leave you with some one-minute wisdom from Anthony DeMello. The master was known to favor action over withdrawal, but he always insisted on enlightened action. The disciples wanted to know what enlightened meant. Did it mean right-intentioned? Oh no, said the master. Think how right-intentioned the monkey is when he lifts a fish from the river to save it from its watery grave. 